Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. My name is Gil McGregor. I am joined once again by Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's going on, man? How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Coming off of Thanksgiving break, uh, we're diving right back into some NBA action. A quarter of the way through the season. It is absolutely crazy. It feels like, you know, the first month and a half has flown by, uh, but we're starting to see some trends and some things develop, and I'm looking forward to talking about it today. Yeah, you mentioned that we are back after a one-week break for the Thanksgiving holiday. For those of you that celebrated, hope you guys spent some time with loved ones and enjoyed some good food. And obviously, the good basketball action that continues to happen. Like you said, we are a quarter of way through the season, which time flies when you're having fun, I guess. I and mean, People say it all the time, and I guess I sound corny saying it, but that honestly is the truth. A lot has happened. Um Two teams have kind of stood up head and shoulders above the rest of the league, the Celtics and the Bucks. And there's an interesting log jam in the Western Conference. All the teams are kind of separated by a few games. A lot of stuff that has yet to be sorted out. Um, and we'll figure that out as the season goes on. But I think that's the fun part about it all. I think that's what made this season, that's what's made this season so interesting so far. Over at NBA.com and Sporting News, uh, we're taking stock. Obviously, a quarter way to the season is a great benchmark to look at the MVP race. And I mentioned the two teams that have looked good. Well, I personally think that MVP shouldn't always be the best player on the best team, but a lot of times the most valuable performer on that team is the person that gets the award for good reason. And um, we're going to have our MVP ladder, our MVP rankings. You and I, you know, great minds think alike, I guess. Our top four rankings are identical. So, Kyle, you're a good man. I appreciate that. But I think we should start with the top, right? We, we got to start with, with Jason Tatum. He was my pick to win MVP, as was yours. And I guess we just got to go straight into why he's been so impressive this season and, and what he's contributed to this Boston Celtics team. Yeah, so I think right off the bat, you know, you talked about how MVP doesn't always have to be the best player on the best team, yeah. but the player who's most valuable to his team. And I think that in this case, Jason Tatum checks both of those boxes. I think he's been the best player on the best team in the league. And I think he's also been, you know, arguably the most valuable player to his team. Uh, that You know, this is a guy that's averaging over 30 points per game. Uh, his rebound numbers are up. His assist numbers are on par with what they were last year. He's making strides on the defensive end. Jason Tatum has been absolutely ridiculous for the Celtics this season. It feels like he's sleepwalking his way to 30 points. Uh, you know, he made some adjustments this offseason. He went into the year saying that he really wants to focus on finishing stronger at the rim, getting to the free throw line, uh, you know, being a little bit more physical, using all of that, you know, six foot 10, let's call it, I don't even know, 200 and probably 20 something pounds uh, of, you know, a physical frame that he has because, you know, last year we saw him get bumped around a little bit in the NBA finals. And I think a lot of people put a lot of stock into his finals performance, despite how good he was throughout the, you know, the earlier rounds of the playoffs. And I think that he took that personally. I think that's something that he really wanted to make sure that when he came back this season, you know, he wasn't looking for fouls, you know, all the time he had his hands up in the air, uh, complained <laughs> to the refs that he wasn't getting fouled. Uh, he was looking, you know, to get fouled more than he was looking to finish around the rim. And in turn, you know, this guy is averaging, uh, the most amount of free throw attempts per game in his career. He's getting to the free throw line. Uh, I think it's just over nine times a game. Uh, it's, he's been to the free throw line. I want to say uh, top five in the league this year with the most free throw attempts. Um, he is finishing at the rim at the highest rate of his career. He's finishing in the paint at the highest rate of his career. And I think, you know, a big um, 
aspect of that is that he has perfected this floater, a shot that he said that he was taking, you know, over 200 of them a day, over 300 of them a day uh, during workouts with Drew Hanlon this off season. So, you know, he really focused on those specific areas of his game. And I think that we've seen that translate to uh, him scoring at a higher level. Um, he's scoring easier. He's not settling for as many fall away jumpers. You know, he's getting to his spots. He's rising up. He's knocking down shots. He's finishing at the rim and he's getting it done on the defensive end as well. He's already made, you know, a handful of clutch plays down the stretch of games this year. Uh, he had that block on Donovan Mitchell to send the game into overtime against the Cavs, even though they ended up losing that game. You know, he had a big block on DeMar DeRozan in one of their games against the Bulls to seal the win for the Celtics. He did it against the Heat. He's done it on both ends of the floor. And to me, that's why he's my MVP so far through the first quarter. I think what's impressed me the most about Jason Tatum this season and deferring what, what he's been or I guess the, the evolution of the growth that he's shown this year and years past on top of the developed floater and on top of playing through contact and getting to the line. And honestly, I think it's probably a product of him you know, increasing his stature in the league and getting some more star calls that he wasn't getting in years past because now he's established he's been the key player of a finals run. I think that does count for something, but – him getting off to a good start to the, to the year, it just shows just how much goes into that. Because I feel like in years past, like, man, if Jason Tatum can get the jump shot to fall or if he can do this and do that. And I think it all goes hand in hand because if you're going inside, you're getting easier looks. You see it go in a couple times. You're going to get into your rhythm a little bit better. And I think that that just speaks to his growth as a player. And, and I, for one, can admit coming into the season, I was a big doubter, not about Jason Tatum, but as a Celtics as a whole. They were going to be without Robert Williams. They don't have, you know, their their head coach is suspended. They have an interim head coach who all reports, all signs indicate that Joe Mazzulla is going to be the Celtics guy moving forward. And he's done a great job as well. So definitely deserves some credit for what he's done for this team and, and the offense being on a historic pace. But I think Jason Tatum obviously is the guy that makes all of this go. And I think we, we talk about it. I don't know what comes first is the chicken or the egg, but that superstar leap. And I remember he kind of addressed that during the finals. Do you win the MVP award first and you make that leap or, or does the leap come as you are putting yourself in the MVP conversation? Because it is still early. We're a quarter way through the season. It is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So I think the next the next question is the next test for Jason Tatum is, is this sustainable? Can he continue to play at this high level? All signs point to him being able to because what he's doing is sustainable, like you said. But I think we're going to have to see that next because as a reminder, this guy is 24 years old. So it's understandable if he's not all the way there yet. But I think that's what I'm watching closely to see as this year goes on. Is he going to be able to do that? Because he is doing a lot for this team. He's capable of doing it. But can he still do that over the course of a two game season? Yeah, I think, you know, what you said about sustainability, I think the way that he's scoring is what makes this so sustainable. You know, if he was shooting you know, let's call it 45% from three. And it just seemed like every shot he was putting up was going in, whether it's a tough shot, good shot, whatever. Uh, I think that's where you'd get a little bit concerned about, can he keep this up? But the fact that, you know, he's scoring at the rim at such a high level, he's getting to the free throw line, which is what you see from, you know, the best scores in the league. Uh, you know, even back in the days with James Harden and everything like that, that's a guy that was getting to the free throw line 12, 13 times a game. And, you know, he's a good free throw shooter. So he's going to be able to, to sustain that as long as he continues to finish strong, as long as that floater continues to fall. And and, you know, like you said, with the Celtics being the best team in the league right now, um, I think that obviously helps his case because, you know, even if he isn't the most valuable player to his team, which, you know, you could argue maybe Stephen Curry has probably been the most valuable player to his team at this point uh, in the season. If, the, you know, a player like Jason Tatum, who has cemented himself in the MVP race, is uh, continues to be the main reason why the Celtics 
are at the top of the standings, he's going to be tough to ignore at the end of the year when teams go or when uh, the media goes to vote for who wins the award. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Stephen Curry as well in that because one thing you said about Jason Tatum, if he was shooting 45% from three, you wouldn't think that was sustainable, which is very true. Now, Steph Curry is somebody who could be shooting 55% from three, and we could definitely think that it is sustainable. We both had Stephen Curry in our top five MVP race, and we both had Giannis Antetokounmpo second. We'll get to Giannis, but I feel like we have to talk about what Steph Curry is doing for the Warriors this season. Um, obviously, they got the best of Jason Tatum and the Celtics last year in the finals. And then the Warriors came out of the gates stumbling. I didn't, I won't say that I predicted the Warriors to come out of the gates as badly as they did, but I did think that the chemistry would take a hit because of the situation that happened with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole during training camp. Um, just some questions around the team. They lost some key players, and we sat on this podcast multiple times, you and I, Scott and I, talking about what's wrong with the Warriors. Can they make up for the guys that they've lost? What's wrong with them on the road? What's going on? But through all of that and everything going on, Stephen Curry at the beginning of the year almost quietly was doing what he's doing. But now that he's 20 games into the year, still performing at that high of a level, like when you look at the numbers, it's actually insane. He's, you know, everybody will remember his unanimous MVP season as one of the most impressive, the impressive statistical achievements or seasons in probably all of professional sports, but in the NBA for, for sure. And what he's doing this year is on par with that, if not better. And if you really take a look at it, it's pretty crazy. It's just harder to, to I guess, take it seriously right now when the Warriors are struggling to stay above water, but it's no fault of Steph Curry. So so what have you thought about Steph Curry this year and, and the sustainability of him not necessarily shooting at 44% from three at, at like 11 attempts per game because we know that's what Steph Curry is. He's the greatest shooter of all time. But the fact that, you know, at 34 years old, when all conventional wisdom would make us think that he's going to take a step back, especially after the toll that a finals run can take on you, that he is the reason that this Warriors team can stay afloat until they figure things out because I feel like things are only going to get better and easier for him as the rest of the team figures things out. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you and I both had Steph at number three on our MVP yep, ladders. And obviously the Warriors record is a plays a huge reason in why he's behind both Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jason Tatum. But if you were to take Steph off this year's Warriors team, uh, I would say sound the alarms. Even if he was only playing half as well as he's playing this season, it would be, you know, you'd be sounding the alarms in Golden State because, you know, that team has been horrible on the road. Um, their young guys haven't stepped up and yet Stephen Curry has still found a way to keep that team afloat. You know, like you said, we expect Steph to shoot the 44% from three point range that he is right now. He's hitting, hitting over five threes per game. He's averaging almost 32 points per game. Those are the types of things that we expect. But then you look at some of his other stats and he's averaging a career high in rebounds. He's averaging the most assists per game since his first MVP season in 2014-15. He's doing all the other things that the Warriors desperately need right now on top of, you know, scoring at an ungodly rate. He already has a 50 ball this season. Uh, you know, like we already said, he's shooting 44% from three. And that's something that, you know, even though I use that as a joke with Tatum, that is something that's sustainable for Stephen Curry, the greatest shooter of all time. But his ability to fill the void in other areas that the Warriors need most, stepping up as a playmaker, crashing the boards, as we've known, you know, from the start of last season, Steph is really taking pride on the defensive end. He's stepping up there as well. And, you know, in a season where Clay Thompson has not 
been very good to start the year. He's had a couple good games as of late. Uh, Draymond Green has, you know, been Draymond Green, but, you know, he's not someone that's going to contribute a ton to, you know, the scoring column or something like that. Like he's a guy that does all the little things. Even someone like Jordan Poole has taken a step back from last year. He hasn't been as consistent after getting that big contract this offseason. So Stephen Curry has really found a way to fill in the gaps make himself a more well-rounded player to you know provide the Warriors with what they need at this point in the season, which is a guy who does more than just you know average 30 points per game and knock down five threes per game. Steph has really you know rounded out his game. He's become you know a player who's getting it done on both ends of the floor. He's rebounding at a high level. You know, he's passing the ball as well as we've seen him pass the ball in you know almost the last 10 years. Uh, and it's just a guy who is keeping this team afloat when things are not all that pretty in Golden State right now. So when we were talking through this and you started talking about the guys on, on the team and, and talking about Clay kind of struggling out of the gates and Draymond being Draymond and whatever. And just talking about it, it you kind of started making me think about parallels and, and the, the last dance Bulls. And they weren't necessarily world beaters that come out of the gates. The, the Warriors now after 21 games at the time of recording, 11 and 10. That, that Bulls team was 12 and 9 through 21 games. They ended up finishing the season 62 and 20. But I'm thinking about that because Michael Jordan turned 35 that season. Steph Curry turns 35 this season. And all the things that you were naming uh, about Steph Curry and, and what he's done, improving as a rebounder, taking pride on defensive end. I saw a quote from Steve Kerr, which adds to the parallels because he was on that, that last dance Bulls team. But they asked him about the biggest difference between Steph Curry in that 2015-16 season and him now. And what he said was he's 15 pounds heavier. He's ripped now. Steph Curry, that kind of just shows, similar to what we talked about Jason Tatum, who's 10 years younger than Stephen Curry, the evolution never stops as far as the way in which you can grow and improve as a player. Steph Curry is something that stands out to me. If you throw out the year in which he played five games because he broke his wrist a couple years back, he's shooting his best from inside the arc. He's shooting 63% from two-point range. So it just kind of speaks to uh, added strength, uh, and I think Steph Curry has always had a, a, a one of the best layup packages, finishing packages in the league. But now he's stronger. Now he's finishing around the rim. He's finishing inside the arc, whether it's in mid range, whether it's in the lane, whatever the case is. He's still evolving. He's still growing as a player. And again, like we talked about, the things that he's doing because we've seen him do it for so long, we know that it's sustainable. And I think that the Warriors aren't going to be a team that continues to hover around 500. Are they going to finish the year 62 and 20 by winning 50 of their next 60 games? Probably not. But I do think that Steph Curry is going to stay uh, at the top or around the top of this MVP discussion because he's going to continue to play at this high of a level and it's going to get easier for him or it should get easier for him because the guys around him should be able to pick up their play. And one thing about a valuable player and what makes a player valuable is that they're able to lift those guys up, whether it's Steph Curry's gravity, whether it's his passing or just his leadership as a player. So I, I do look to see Steph Curry maybe jump up from that three spot and being third on MVP ladder isn't some type of knock against him right now. But I do kind of feel like at this juncture, I get some type of feeling that we're, we're in the midst of something special from Steph Curry um, this season and it's only going to get better moving forward just because of the way things are and the parallels. And history always repeats itself anyway. So that that's kind of what I'm seeing as we have this discussion. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a great comparison that you made between uh, the Last Dance Bulls and this year's Golden State Warriors. That's a comparison that I haven't heard anybody make. And I didn't even realize that the Bulls had gotten off to that slow start uh, the same way that the Warriors have this year. But you know, to your point, once those guys eventually, and it seems like it's inevitable. I mean, even last year's Warriors team at, you know, on 
November 28th, which is the date that we're recording. I don't think anybody would have told you that, that team would go on to win the NBA finals. Stephen Curry would win his first finals MVP. You know, I don't think anybody really saw that coming from that Warriors team uh, at this point last year. So, you know, they're inevitably going to elevate their play, everybody else around Stephen Curry. So as long as he can maintain, you know, this level of play, it wouldn't shock me if we had this discussion in a month and a half and Stephen Curry is number one on both of our uh, MVP ladders. Because right now, I think, you know, from the way that we're both talking, it sounds like the only reason we had him at three and not number one is because of, you know, what the team is doing around him. The record isn't there to place him at number one on the MVP ladder just yet. So, you know, I'm sitting here trying to pull up uh, the latest MVP odds. And right now I'm seeing Stephen Curry is fourth behind Giannis, Luca, and Tatum. Uh, at plus 1000. And that seems like, you know, that is a pretty, uh, that could be a pretty beneficial bet down the road because if the Warriors team really starts to elevate their play around Stephen Curry, I think he could start to become, it's weird to call him a dark horse MVP candidate, but you know, behind those three guys, uh, it feels like Stephen Curry is someone that, you know, you, you, you can make some money off of him as long as the Warriors get to the level of play that we expect from them later in the season. Yeah, it it does feel like calling a guy who once won unanimous MVP a dark horse candidate weird, but at the same time, that was seven years ago. And and again, like a a guard who we knew his game was going to age gracefully, but I don't think that many people would have expected that 34-year-old Steph Curry would be doing what he's doing right now. at this level. And I think to that point and talking about the, the, the Warriors record, there are other teams whose record we'll get to in just a second, but thinking about, you know, even last year where Jokic was able to win MVP again, just because of the historic numbers he put forth. And it was the only correct answer. Um, Granted, there were some injury issues and things that got other people out of the running, but thinking about just if Steph Curry is really the guy that's just head and shoulders, better than everybody else and other people's play maybe goes back because it's not as sustainable as his is i i could certainly see uh you know those odds paying off for some people who are uh wise enough to to go uh on the finals mvp and, and the two-time league mvp now i mentioned records and i guess it's an easy segue to to somebody that when i was assessing this and and placing people i was like well luca feels like he's been a a, a no-brainer in a lot of mvp conversations or luca Doncic. And the Mavericks have been underwhelming this year. I won't say disappointing because they lost a major piece in Jalen Brunson. They've 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 been trying to reincorporate or incorporate new pieces and reincorporate other pieces like Tim Hardaway Jr., who was out all last year. But Luca has been otherworldly. They've been asking a lot of him. His usage rate is, is sky high. I think it's like right under thirty seven percent so far this season. But his his numbers for the year are like thirty four points per game, eight and a half assists, eight and a half rebounds. He's a threat to get a triple double every night, but the Mavericks are struggling to, to get above 500 and stay there. Granted, I mentioned there's a logjam in the Western Conference. The Suns are at the top of the conference. There's only a few games over 500. But still, we talk about sustainability and we talk about what's being asked of players and we talk about Luka Doncic and the team around him. And this is, you know, year five for the Luka Doncic. And they got to the conference finals last year, but this kind of feels like this team is going to take a big step back unless something big changes. They brought in Kimball Walker to, to to come off the bench. I don't think he's going to solve all of their problems. But when we talk about sustainability and, and it's a question mark for Jason Tatum, I don't think it's a question for, for Steph Curry. But for Luka Doncic, I, I really wonder, you know, can he continue to play at, at this high of a level with all that's asked of him, especially if it's not translating the wins right now? 
Yeah, I think so. I actually picked Luka Doncic as my preseason pick to win MVP this year. It felt like, you know, the past couple of years, it seemed like, oh, is this going to be the year that Luka makes the MVP leap? And, you know, whether it was Giannis or, or Jokic in back to back seasons, <clears throat> that hasn't exactly happened for Luka. Um, and, you know, as we're watching this team, you know, a quarter through the season, I'm starting to question how Luka would be able to pull off MVP with, again, talking about the team around him and the record uh, that the Mavericks, I'm expecting them to have at the end of the year. The team around him has clearly regressed from last year. Um, Luca needs help. And, you know, Mark Cuban's never been afraid to make a move and try and, and uh, make that happen. So, you know, this Mavs roster that we see right now might not be the Mavs roster that we see after the trade deadline. And that could help Luca's case. But, you know, to me, I think it would have to be comparable to almost like what we saw from Nikola Jokic last year. Yep. I mean, the Nuggets finished in sixth place in the Western Conference. They weren't, you know, one of the top teams where, like we like, like we have been saying, you know, best player on the best team wins the award. Uh, you know, it was very clearly an instance where last year Jokic was without Jamal Murray, without Michael Porter Jr., and his play was, you know, he was playing at such a high level that the Nuggets would have been a lottery team if he wasn't playing for them last year. So I think with Luka, you know, it's going to have to be a similar case of he is, can, you know, can he establish himself as the most valuable player to his team, which I think he is already, you know, on track to be doing that. Like you said, he's leading the league in scoring. He's averaging 33 points per game. His assists and rebounds are on par with his career average of eight and eight. He's averaging, or I, I'm sorry, he's shooting a career high uh, from the field. He's shooting over 50%, which, you know, that's usually one of the knocks on Luka is, you know, it takes a lot of shots to score a lot of points, but you know, I think when you're looking at his MVP case, he's going to have to maintain what we've seen from him so far. And the Mavericks are going to have to be one of those top six teams. Like, I don't think a, a team in the play-in tournament could really have an MVP. Um, it just doesn't feel like that that would, especially with players like Jason Tatum and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who if their teams are going to be, you know, in some order, one and two in the Eastern Conference, it would really be tough for Luka to be a play-in team uh, and win that award. But I do think that, you know, if the Mavs could hover around that five or six seed in the West, because like you said, it's a log jam right now. Um, if they could hover around that five or six seed in the West in the same way the Nuggets did last year with Nikola Jokic uh, and Luka continues to maintain the averages that he has right now, he'll stay in that MVP race just because it'll be so inevitably clear how bad the Mavericks would be if he wasn't playing for that team. So I think that that's kind of his pathway to winning MVP this year is kind of almost following that blueprint from Nikola Jokic last year. Yeah, so it's funny you, you mentioned that. You, and we, we continue to talk about this Mavericks team, this Mavericks roster, and you mentioned uh, Mark Cuban and, and his ability to to build teams. And it's just amazing how quickly the noise starts to get louder. I, I saw a clip of, of Luca being asked, you know, would he be would he would he be willing to leave Dallas if he doesn't think he can win there? And this is, like I said, this is year five for Luka Doncic, and and, and the Mavericks have shown uh, patience, or the Mavericks have had a star that showed patience before you talk about Dirk Nowitzki being a guy who he didn't go into stardom as quickly as Luka Doncic did. But once he did, there were a lot of shortcomings, especially losing as a number one seed after winning, you know, 67 games, you lose it to the number eight seed. And then they eventually got that elusive title beating LeBron. We all know that story from 2011, but I wonder now because times have changed. It's a new day and age, and, and Luka Doncic is a, is, is a superstar. Without a doubt, he's uh, got this team to the playoffs in the second year uh, of his of his career. So looking at it like that, do you, do you think that – it's really early, but do you think that there is any, any validity to, to people being maybe worried about, like, they need to get this together sooner rather than later, or you might have a disgruntled superstar who uh, might have his eye towards the exit? I don't know. You and I talked about it a little bit before we hopped on here. And to me, like 
Luca already feels like one of those guys who is going to be in a Mavericks jersey for the rest of his career, mm-hmm. and it would be weird to see him in any other uniform. Like I couldn't even imagine. I, I wouldn't even know where to speculate where Luca would head next. Uh, it really does feel like he's going to, you know, have a twenty-year career in Dallas. But like you said, I mean, if he doesn't get some help, at what point does he start looking elsewhere? At what point does he get disgruntled enough where he doesn't want to be there anymore? But you know, Luca is such a talented player that it feels like players will eventually want to play with him, even though, you know, it's a lot of standing around, you know, you got to watch him dribble the ball a million times before he puts up a shot. He really is an incredible playmaker though. And he makes people around him better as long as he has the talent around him. And right now that's not the case. Um, But I do think that, you know, I kind of trust Mark Cuban uh, to make the right moves, to put the right pieces around him because he knows, you know, how special Luca's talent is. He knows that it'd be a massive missed opportunity for the franchise if they don't win at least one championship with Luka Doncic in a Mavericks jersey. And to me, it feels like he will do whatever it takes to keep Luka happy. You know, he he's not afraid to dip into the luxury tax. He's not afraid to spend big. Um, you know, he's someone that will go out on a limb and do whatever it takes to get Luka the pieces that he needs to remain in Dallas and remain happy. So, you know, right now, five years into his career, uh, I feel like Luca. I'm going to stay on the island that he is going to be a Maverick for the rest of his life because that's what feels right. But at the same time, you know, there's there's moves that have to be made in Dallas in order to keep him happy. Absolutely, I, I think that uh, it's too soon to say that the clock is ticking because again, this is, he's not even. I don't even his, his his extension hasn't even kicked in yet or whatever. But right. you know, it, it's so early um, as far as that goes. But you know. On that same token, this is a guy and, and it, it, who is a generational talent. It's 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 no no two ways about it. It's a generational talent, um, and you're gonna have to help him out. I, I think you know he would much rather be winning and producing less and not having these numbers that he's putting up uh, this year. And pardon me, this is the first year of his extension. He's making thirty seven million dollars this year. Um, contract runs through twenty twenty six twenty seven. Um, but um, he would much rather be averaging, you know, 28 and seven and seven rather than doing um, what he's doing right now and being one game under 500 a quarter of the way through the season. So they're going to have to figure it out uh, again. The, the, the losing Jalen Brunson was huge. I think we knew that it was going to be big, but we might have underestimated just how big it was. And Jalen Brunson's don't grow on trees. So they're going to have to figure that out. But again, we talked about Tatum. Luka Doncic is 23 years old, which is absolutely insane to, to think about that. So think about where other young guys were at that age. They definitely probably weren't a, a, as advanced as he is. So the future is still bright. They just have to make sure that they treat their star the right way, do it the right way. There's a blueprint there. They just have to follow it. Now, Talking about Luca, talking about these other guys, and I know we talked about the fact that our uh, top five or MVP race pretty much uh, mirrored one another. But the the where we deferred was that you had Devin Booker fifth, I had Nikola Jokic fifth. But again, we mentioned Giannis. I feel like we didn't even give Giannis the attention that he warrants. But Giannis is awesome. Giannis is a two time MVP. The Bucks are, are doing it. They haven't gotten Chris Middleton back, and Giannis is still playing at an extremely high level. But I, I kind of want to you know use. This this last segment, so to speak, to to kind of dish out talking about some other guys around the league because there's some other names that popped up that we didn't consider. John Morant is a guy who I didn't even think about when when, when putting this. Not that I didn't think about it, but I haven't really thought about him in, in the in the in the scope of MVP uh, race this season. So when you look around the league, you look at the teams um, and the way they're performing. I feel like Devin Booker is a guy who is the best player, most valuable player on the team that's currently. Uh, at the top of the Western Conference. And I think that where he and the Suns kind of are are given 
a little bit uh, of, a, of a hard time or maybe we aren't as, as confident because I think our, our lasting memory, uh, people have been out in the sun since Luka and the Mavs kind of embarrassed them in the Western Conference semis last year. So where where, where do you stand on, on the Suns and, and other people in the in the MVP race and maybe somebody who can maybe sneak into your top five as the year goes on? But, but I really want to start with Devin Booker because I do feel like they are given kind of an unfair uh, place of judgment just based on what we saw from them last year after they seemed like they were on a vengeance tour to, to, to get back at, to the finals and they couldn't even get to the conference finals. Yeah, so I it was it felt like the first four people, first four players in the MVP ladder when I filled it out were pretty inevitable in some order. It was going to be Tatum, mm-hmm. Giannis, uh, Curry, and Luca. But that fifth spot is where I really had a lot of trouble. I, I you know looked at Nikola Jokic, I looked at Devin Booker, I looked at John Moran, I even looked at someone like Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, who's been playing out of his mind. He looks that like he's going to be a lock for a first time All Star, but you know the Thunder just their record's not there. Um, so to me, you know, as I'm looking between Jokic and Morant and Devin Booker, uh, Donovan Mitchell as well, who I should I should throw his name in the ring too. Um, but it just felt like Devin Booker was the guy because you know, like you said, the Suns almost feel like they're forgotten after how embarrassing that Game Seven loss was to the Mavericks last year. You know, they come into this season. They lose a starter in Jay Crowder, who, you know, the team usually agreed that he's going to stay on the sidelines until they find a trade destination for him because they weren't going to start him. They decided that six man of the year candidate Cam Johnson was going to fill his spot in the starting lineup. And then Cam Johnson went down and got hurt. Uh, Mm -hmm. Chris Paul's averaging less than 10 points per game, which uh, is absolutely ridiculous to even say out loud. Uh, And somehow, even with injuries and even with the turmoil, the Suns are still the best team in the NBA, or have, I'm sorry, have the best record in the Western Conference. Yep. And Devin Booker is averaging a career high in scoring. He's almost averaging six assists per game. He's really been uh, just a stabilizer for the Suns this season. It feels like every time I look, he's having a big game, especially uh, when the Suns are playing up against some of the best teams in the league. And you know, when you're just looking at the teams around him, um, you know, the Nuggets, their record is up there. But to me, Nikola Jokic's stats have taken a little bit of a step back. And I mean, I swear that guy could probably average a hundred point triple double this year and he still wouldn't win MVP just mm-hmm. because, you know, the voters don't want to give it to him three years in a row. Um, and then you have someone like John Moran, who obviously has been incredible. But, you know, when you're looking in the standings and you're looking at the pecking order this early in the season, it feels like with the Suns being able to stay afloat with the injuries, with Chris Paul taking a step back, uh, Devin Booker felt like the guy to me. Um, to you know, kind of hold down that fifth spot in the MVP race. I'm not sure he's getting the attention he deserves because, like you said, I think people are kind of almost bored with the Suns in a way. But mm-hmm. you know, he's having an incredible season. I feel like it should be you know honored uh, by being in this MVP conversation. And if Chris Paul can't really uh, you know get back to the Chris Paul that we saw his first two years in Phoenix. I think that that really is going to help Devin Booker's MVP case because, you know, even let's say two years ago when the Suns had the best record in the Western Conference or last year, uh, Mm -hmm. even it it kind of felt like Chris Paul and Devin Booker were splitting MVP votes. Like voters Mm -hmm. didn't really know which player was more deserving uh, because, you know, you could have made the case for either of them. But, you know, right now it's it's as clear as it's ever been. Phoenix is uh, Devin Booker's team. And as long as they stay towards the top of the Western Conference standings, he's going to be in the MVP discussion all year. Yeah, no, you mentioned it. The, the the Chris Paul thing is is huge because thinking back to when we were doing a lot of like our NBA rankings of the top thirty players in the league, it was always Chris Paul and Devin Booker like back to back. Whether it was twelve and thirteen or, or ten and eleven, whatever the case was, it almost was kind of like their success was dependent on one another. They make each other who they 
are. And, and honestly, it makes him one of the best backcourts in the, year, the, the league. Chris Paul has taken a step back. He's had injury issues this year. Who knows if they persisted before he was performing that way. And that might be the reason. And that's why um, he's taking, uh, I guess, uh, extended time off. And, but again, Devin Booker is keeping this team afloat. And that speaks to Devin Booker's importance and his value uh, as far as that goes. And, and I'll be interested to see you know, whether or not he – uh, can be a n- enough given everything else that's going on. And DeAndre Ayton has played well this year. But again, another guy who I feel like we've kind of gotten bored with. And, and um, maybe it's because he was a number one pick. Maybe it's because he was selected before Luka. We kind of just like, oh, yeah, DeAndre Ayton had 29-20. Oh, okay, whatever. But interesting enough to see if Devin Booker can continue to perform at this level as the Suns maybe create some distance. If they have a two, three, four, five game lead in the Western Conference standings, and you can compare that to the record of the Warriors or the Mavericks or whatever team that that is, and they can enter that conversation that way. And I think head-to-head matchups will benefit him a lot as well when they go against the Celtics, when they go against the Mavs, when they go against these teams, just to see Devin Booker play at that level. Um, Because again, it just kind of feels like because we've seen the Suns do it in the regular season, because we saw them, you know, come two wins away uh, from a championship uh, the year before last, it kind of feels like we're just waiting to see it, you know, in, in the postseason. Devin Booker even kind of said it as well. He was saying, you know, earlier in the year they had, they had a big win. I think it was over the Lakers, and he was just like, you know, these these wins help us for the postseason. I know we have sixty games left, but like we're focused on being ready for when the postseason comes around. And I think that that kind of speaks to the sentiment for how everybody feels with the Suns now. We've seen it in the regular season now. Like, let's see you guys do it and sustain it and get a championship because of it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you're looking at the MVP race, uh, I think Jason Tatum is someone who would really want to win the award for the first time. Same goes for Luka Doncic. I mean, obviously, you know, Giannis and Steph, they'd love to add another trophy to their trophy case. Um, but at the same time, you know, their trophy case is already stuffed. They already have enough enough trophies to go around. So, you know, it feels like Devin Booker kind of joins that Luka and, and Tatum conversation of a player who would really love to have that recognition because, you know, he, he I think, tweeted about it or maybe it was an Instagram story post last year or something, how he felt like he wasn't getting enough respect in the MVP conversation. Um, I think that he realizes the Suns are a little bit disrespected at this point. And I think that's an award that, you know, that would almost kind of like solidify himself uh, in that top tier of NBA players um, that, you know, he's kind of on that fringe of cracking that top tier at this point. Uh, you know, he's an all-star almost every year now. He'll be an all-star again this season. But being able to tack on an MVP trophy really kind of like solidify his legacy down the road. And, you know, again, if the Suns can stay at the top of the standings and make a run towards the NBA finals and he were to have a season where he could rack up an NBA title and an MVP trophy in the same season i mean that that's now we're talking hall of fame status and you know nba 100 when that list comes around and things like that so you know i think devin booker uh is the type of player who it would really mean a lot to him to win mvp uh where you know some of these other guys on the list whether it's Giannis or steph curry i think at this point they're really just focused on winning championships and nothing else Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the difference between Devin Booker also and the other young guys who are in the conversation because Devin Booker spent a lot of years in the basement of the league where Luke was in the playoffs in year two. Jason Tatum was in the conference finals his rookie season. So it's interesting to look at, at, at the difference between their pathways to get where they are. And that probably has something to do with why people aren't taking the Suns as seriously as they should take them. So it'll be interesting to see as the season continues to go. we got three quarters of the season remaining. The first one's done. The buzzer sounded. We're ready for the next three quarters. We'll have you ready for the next three quarters of the year here on NBA Sound System. So we appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe. Get these in your feed every time 
they drop. We'll be back again next week with another episode continuing to follow everything going on in the league and seeing if the hot starts from Boston and Milwaukee are sustainable and if we'll get some clear some clarity uh, in the log jam in the Western Conference and how that all impacts the MVP race. For Kyle Irving, I am Gil McGregor. Again, thanking you for tuning in to NBA Sound System. We will catch you next week.